Hi, this is Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. I'm going to be discussing principles and techniques of virtual colonoscopy, and this is part one of the lecture. First, we're going to discuss why we do it. As background information, I'm sure you're all aware that colon cancer is very important in the United States and worldwide. Worldwide, there's over a million cases every year and about 150,000 cases in the U.S., about 56,000 deaths a year in the United States. And despite improvements in treatment, we've only impacted mortality slightly, and that's because most people who present have advanced disease. So in order to impact the mortality and morbidity of this disease, we have to uh, screen patients and diagnose the tumors earlier, even when they're precancerous. As you know, most colon cancers, not all, but the vast majority of them arise from pre-detectable, uh, sorry, detectable precancerous lesions. So these are the adenomatous polyps. So this is the adenoma carcinoma sequence. So you have a window of time where you can detect these lesions before they become cancer. And it's been proven that if you detect and remove adenomatous polyps, you can prevent the development of colon cancer in most patients. This is Mr. Polyp. This is the ad campaign for the American Cancer Society. It says colon polyps stop them before they go bad. Now the problem is that colon polyps are very common, and most colon polyps aren't adenomatous, they're actually hyperplastic. But if you just take the adenomatous ones, only a small percentage of them, it's estimated that only 3% of them would ever grow to become malignant, and it takes a long time for the malignancy to develop, so between 10 and 15 years for an adenoma to become a cancer, if it's one of that few percentage that's going to go on to become malignant. So you have a long window of opportunity. So it's actually a great cancer to screen for because you have a premalignant lesion that grows very slowly. The size of the polyp is very important. Uh, and it's very important when we talk about CT colonoscopy because polyps less than 5 millimeters never have cancer. So when we talk about screening, it is not important for us to be able to detect those tiny lesions. Polyps between 5 and 9 millimeters, less than 1% chance of having invasive cancer or high-grade dysplasia. Once a polyp reaches a centimeter or bigger, then you have a significant percentage of those which will have cancer, so about 10%. The larger the polyp, the more likely it is to have cancer. So we certainly want to detect all lesions one centimeter or larger, and we really try to detect those lesions in the 5 to 9 millimeter range, but even knowing that those are very unlikely to have cancer at that time. So if you do the math, it's about 12 million patients a year that are eligible for colon cancer screening. Average risk patients should be screened at the age of 50, and high risk patients should be screened at the age of 40 or even sooner, depending uh, if they have a family history or if they have ulcerative colitis, for example, they may scan those patients um, even earlier than 40. The literature supports that we should be able to detect and remove all polyps greater than a centimeter. Right now, the American Cancer Society guidelines have been revised just this month. Uh, average risk patients at the age of 50, the tests that they recommend to detect cancer and polyps include either a flexible sig uh, sigmoidoscopy every five years, colonoscopy every 10 years, double contrast barium enema every five years, or now they've included CT colonography as a colon cancer screening study, and they suggest that be performed every five years. Average risk patients at the age of 50, they also list some tests that mainly detect cancer. So these are tests that are not designed to detect polyps, but they uh, suggest be done. So for instance, fecal occult blood test, which looks for blood in the stool, should be done every year. Fecal immunochemical test, that's another test of the stool, should be done every year. And stool DNA test, 
uncertain interval that that should be done at. So just to review these fecal cult blood testing, you know, this is where a stool is placed on the little card and then the chemical is added, tries to detect blood. It's actually low sensitivity and low specificity for colon cancer, but it does detect bleeding. So it has been proven in prospective randomized controlled trials to decrease mortality by a significant amount simply by performing this test and looking for blood in the stool. But it's not going to detect the polyps or cancers that aren't bleeding at the time. Barium enema is a relatively inexpensive and safe, safe study that can detect large adenomas uh, and cancers. The problem is that it's kind of a lost art, and radiologists today aren't trained well to perform a barium enema. Here at Hopkins, we probably do only one double contrast barium enema a week, so the residents are not trained well, and it's a difficult study to do well. So we've kind of lost interest in the barium enema as a screening technique. This was a study that's published a couple years ago um, that basically says the same thing. So they looked at a big institution and they were really only doing one double contrast barium enema a week. And they had their very experienced radiologists read them. So three of the four radiologists were over 60 years old. And even then they didn't do so well. So only 14 of 244 studies gave positive reports of polyps and 5 of 14 of those were false positive on colonoscopy. So again, the barium enema is kind of a lost art. This was another study showing that which compared colonoscopy and double contrast barium enema. And they found that for polyps greater than a centimeter on colonoscopy, they were only reported on barium enema in 48% of the patients. So again, barium enema isn't that good, especially if the people performing the study are not experienced. Flexible sigmoidoscopy is listed as a screening study every five years. This can be done in the doctor's office, does not require sedation. It's safer than a full colonoscopy, but the problem is it visualizes less than 50% of the colon. It is covered by insurance, and it can be performed by primary care physicians, so there's a wider availability than conventional colonoscopy. And it has been proven to reduce colon cancer mortality um, but again, you're only visualizing a portion of the colon. So if you really want to screen appropriately, you need to screen the entire colon. So that takes us to conventional colonoscopy, also called optical colonoscopy, which is considered to be the gold standard for evaluation of the colon. It's a fairly involved study requiring sedation. It's a safe study, but there is a risk of bleeding, which is about one in a thousand for perforation and bleeding. Here at Hopkins, we probably have five or six perforations a year. Um, death is 1 to 3 in 10,000, often from bleeding or from an anesthesia uh, complication. The completion rate varies from institution to institution. Usually it's in the high 90% in experienced hands, but even in experienced hands, sometimes the colonoscopist can't reach the cecum and the right colon because the colon is tortuous or because of diverticular disease or because of scarring. The main advantage of a conventional colonoscopy is that polyps can be removed, but I just want to remind you that conventional colonoscopy, although we consider it the gold standard, is not perfect. And when you look at carefully performed studies, you can see that the sensitivity for adenomas greater than a centimeter is really only in the 90 to 95% range. It's not 100%. Part of the reasons that there's limitations to regular colonoscopy is that when you think of how they do a colonoscopy, you can see that the uh, scope can only see what's in front of it. So they put the scope through the colon to the cecum and then they pull the scope back. They can't turn the scope around and drive back, so there are some blind spots to them. And that is, on CT, there should be no blind spots because the virtual camera, we can maneuver in any direction we want. 
So despite all these screening tests that are available, participation in colorectal screening is actually very low, so we need a better study. The idea for virtual colonoscopy actually has been around for quite some time. It was really in 1994 that it took off, and this was David Vining, who was a fellow at Hopkins in 92 and 93, and that was the first time we had a spiral scanner, so we could acquire a volume of information. And he used to play a lot of computer games, and he thought, well, why can't I fly through the colon like I fly through outer space? And that's how it all started. Of course, in the beginning, in the 90s, it was very limited. First of all, the scanners were very slow, and the slice thickness was relatively thick. And there was really no software that was designed for this um, for this technique. So what we needed, we needed faster scanners, and we basically needed isotropic data sets. We needed thin collimation, and then we needed software designed specifically for this uh, technique. So it took going from single slice to multi-slice CT, and as you can see here, it was really in 2005 where the technology was improved significantly um, to make it feasible to look for small polyps. And that meant going to isotropic data. So we maintain that resolution in all imaging planes. The advantage of doing a CT colonography is that it's very fast. Basically, the abdomen and pelvis can be scanned in 10 seconds or less, and the patient's in the room for about 10 minutes. It's definitely less invasive and less morbidity than conventional colonoscopy. So the, there is a slight chance of perforation. There have been a few reports. Usually those are in diagnostic studies, so patients with strictures or known masses. But still, um, it's at least tenfold safer than a conventional colonoscopy. So the hope is that compliance will be increased so that we can encourage more people to be screened. The cost is cheaper than a conventional colonoscopy, and most studies show that it's better tolerated than a conventional colonoscopy, and also definitely better tolerated than a barium enema. If you look at the accuracy, the early studies you have to be a little bit careful because everybody had different types of techniques and most of the early studies were done in high-risk patients, patients with polyposis syndrome or family history of cancer or symptomatic patients. So you can't always apply those results to a screening population. I've listed some of the um, seminal studies that were published early on and some of them had good results and some of them didn't have good results. And I think the important thing to know early on was some of the studies did have good results and that encouraged people to think that this may be a good technology once we had better scanners, more training, and better software. But even in the early days, if you take the early trials, this was a meta-analysis of 33 published trials early on and they basically took all the studies that were at least single detector, had at least five millimeter collimation or less, did prone and supine images, and they looked at those results. And when they took those studies, it was pretty reasonable. So per patient sensitivity for polyps greater than a centimeter was 85%, specificity 97%. So you can see in that meta-analysis, even early on, it looked like the modality had some potential. This is the largest screening study to date that has been published. This is the Perry Pickard trial from 2003 in the New England Journal of Medicine. 1,233 asymptomatic adults. They had the same day virtual colonoscopy and optical colonoscopy, and the results were wonderful. So adenomas greater than a centimeter, sensitivity 94%, specificity 96%. So that's excellent. If you look at the comparison of the virtual colonoscopy with the optical colonoscopy, which is listed as OC here, you can see that the CT found more polyps than the conventional colonoscopy did. And the way the trial was done is that the CT was performed, the radiologist read it, wrote down their answer and sealed it, sent it up to the colonoscopist. The colonoscopist finished their study, 
wrote down their answers, and then looked at what the radiologist said. So if the radiologist saw something and the colonoscopist didn't, the colonoscopist had to go back to see if the radiologist was right. So it was well done. Also mentioned a few things. This was a military population. It was a primary 3D evaluation, and we'll discuss that later when we talk about interpretation. But basically, they uh, concentrated on the 3D fly-through. They had liquid and stool tagging, and they also had electronic subtraction. So they had software to subtract out the residual tag stool and fluid. And at that time, they had four and eight-row detector scanners, and they got great results. And four and eight-row scanners are really ancient by today's standards, where we have 64 and beyond. Then a few months later, this article was published in JAMA, another very well, um, uh, very well-renowned journal. 615 patients, nine centers, similar setup, and the results were dismal. So you can see here that lesions greater than one centimeter, the CT only found 55%. So people said, okay, how could you have two studies published only a few months apart and have such different results? One of the reasons was this study in JAMA was older data, but the main reason was that the radiologists were inexperienced. They had only looked at 10 cases before they read for the study. If you took the centers with the most experienced readers, you could see they did pretty well, and they had 85% sensitivity for lesions greater than 6 millimeters. When they presented this limitation of the studies to the authors, they said they were trying to see what the average radiologist could do in the community, but... I think they underestimated the average radiologist because radiologists who want to do virtual colonoscopy certainly need to be trained and get experience in it. So we had one really good publication, then we had one terrible publication with limitations and inexperienced radiologists. Then uh, the next year, the Duke trial was published, and th these patients all had barium enema, and then seven days later had the CT and the conventional colonoscopy. And again, the results were not very good. So per patient sensitivity for the virtual colonoscopy for lesions greater than a centimeter were only 59%, so that wasn't good. This study also had a problem with inexperienced readers. Only half had ever even read 50 cases, which is the minimum that we recommend today. And, uh, you know, they had some funding problems as well. So, again, it's easy to get bad results if you have inexperienced people. Um, this is a recent publication from Doshi in Radiology 2007, and they looked at that Duke trial, which is the Rockne trial, and out of 114 false negatives from that study, they went back and most of the mislesions could be retrospectively identified at CTC. So when they had experienced people look at it, they could find most of the lesions. So when they factored this in, they said theoretically the bipolar uh, polyp sensitivity for adenomas greater than a centimeter in this trial would have increased from 63.9% to 94.5% if all the correctable errors were scored as true positives. So that means if they went back and could find the polyp, then it was potentially detectable. So if they took that into account, then actually the results were very good. Couple more publications. This is um, a recent trial, hasn't been published yet in Europe, just to mention some of the international studies. So, all of these readers were experienced. They used experienced uh, readers and they all had multi detector scanners. These were high risk patients, they weren't asymptomatic patients or screening patients. So, there were 934, and the results were very good and similar to the other Perry Picker trial. So, basically, per patient sensitivity for polyps greater than a centimeter was 90% sensitivity uh, for greater than 6 millimeter polyps was 84%. So again, very similar to the other trials. The uh, last publication, which we're, is 
um, already been accepted but hasn't been published is the Akron 6664 trial. So this was the NIH Akron sponsored trial, 15 institutions, over 2,600 people. Um, these were screening patients, so they were 50 years of age or older scheduled for screening colonoscopy. They had standard preps and stool tagging, and they were randomized to either primary 2D or 3D read, and each case was read twice, one at the primary site and one at another site. The results of that have not been published, but I'll give you a sneak preview. The results basically say that for adenomas greater than a centimeter, the sensitivity was 90%, which is very good. And when you look at the breakdown, some of the readers were 100% and in the high 90s, and there were a few readers that were a little bit lower. Now, they haven't looked at the second read yet, so some of that might have been less experienced, although all the readers were trained. And so you could see that if the if uh, one radiologist may miss it, if the other reader picked it up, then we'll have to see what the results of that would be. But as it is stands now, it's very similar to the Perry Pickard trial. And this has given a lot of impetus to the technique, and that's why the American Cancer Society now recommends this as a potential and a valid screening for patients with colon cancer. So I think we'll stop there for part one. Thank you.